Welcome back, everyone, to Sex and Couples Therapy with the Happy Ending Therapist. I am Donna Harris-Richards, LICSW and Certified Sex and Couples Therapist, here with my lovely producer, Vicki. Excited to be back. How are you, Vic? Doing great. Doing great. Have you tried any new recipes lately? It's so hungry, so I'm thinking about food. It's so interesting you say that. I actually wanted to talk about. (laughs) I have this new idea. (laughs) You know, I always say to couples, have projects, do fun stuff together, right? Like you know, play, have pleasure, passion, um, create stuff, use your imagination. So, my spouse uh, has been cooking up a storm. Um, there's, mm-hmm. you know, he's not, uh, working as much as he was in COVID-19. Um, so he's been cooking a lot and he has been using, get ready, lemon zest. Ooh. Yeah. So he makes a macaroni salad. Now I know that's not the greatest thing on the planet, <laughs> but he makes this little elbow macaroni salad and he puts in, I can't even tell you cause I'm not making it scallions, bread and butter pickles, carrots, lemon zest, uh, you know, every little vegetable you can imagine. He'll chop up zucchinis, et cetera. But the, the lemon zest thing is he is on fire. So anything you want to put lemons, I have used lemon zest in pancakes. In pancakes? It's crazy. And here's the thing about lemon zest that's so great. So it's the skin of the lemon, right? And mm-hmm. if you get a really good zester, it helps a lot. You know, the tool is the thing. Um the reason the zest works so well is because you get the intense flavor of the lemon without the sourness of the juice. So do you, do you use lemon zest? I've used lemon zest in martinis. <laughs> I've never actually cooked with, <laughs> oh. I've never actually cooked with lemon zest, but I use lemon itself wow. in almost every dish I make. I'm a big lemon person. Well, tonight I'll be zesting my martini, Vicky. <laughs> what a great idea. I love that. I yeah. Love that. So, but new recipes. Um, you know, I'm not the cook, but geez, he's amazing. I mean, he'll make great salmon. Uh, there's this idea of, oh, and I, I'm going to speak about it badly, but there's this idea of layering your pan with salt and <laughs> doing like a cold pan salted salmon. Do you know about this? No. So you put the salmon on there and the pan is cold and you've got this layer of salt. And But I can't remember it's, if it's skin side up or down. So I shouldn't even <laughs> be talking about this. I am not the chef in my house. Um, but he does lots of great things with just chicken thighs and, um, oh, I don't know. He's This is complicated, but he loves to make octopus because he's Greek and all that. Um, Fancy. So I, I can't really help you with the recipes necessarily. But the reason I got excited when you said that is that I actually... I'm thinking that we need to, he and I need to put together a book of the recipes that he has uh, developed over time. I mean, he's an artist and a musician and just a, a great creative force. And his father recently died. Well, his stepfather recently died um, and he was a great cook. So I said to him, why don't we track all these recipes that you're coming up with and, and write this lovely cookbook as an, as an homage to your stepdad? That would be beautiful. And I thought we could put his paintings in it and like refer to some music. In fact, speaking of that, he is the one who does the music intro and outro on our podcast, Vicky. (laughs) He is. (sighs) He's such a talented (laughs) dude. Um, Yes. So, you know, when I talk about this idea of picking right, I I think I really picked right with this guy. (laughs) Picked a winner. 
Yeah, second time was a charm for me. So <laughs> a little TMI, but you know, it's okay. <laughs> it's true. I was older. We were older when we met. So that helped too. Um, you know, get experience again, developing yourself and finding your interests and all that really helps to grow and enrich relationships. So speaking of that, um, can I tell the folks what uh, our podcast is on today? Absolutely. Okay, good. It's the importance of the intimacy inventory in COVID-19. And actually, it's it's really just the importance of the intimacy inventory anytime, but I think it's particularly rele- relevant with COVID-19 um, because it, it, this is just another stressor, right, for everyone. Um, it affects different people differently, I understand, but um, the intimacy inventory is uh, used to assess and strengthen relationships, Um and with, I was, I was thinking about this, you know, with my eye on hope for the future, it's always good to be positive. You know, we can think of the pandemic as, as the usefulness in terms of the weighted bat in relationships. You know, the idea of the weighted bat for baseball. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, in other words, oh, by the way, everybody, I can see Vicky. Um, so, <laughs> so when I, when I say, when I ask her a question, I can see her shaking her head. So. <laughs> Sometimes but, I nod instead of <laughs> verbalizing. My no, response. no, no, it's good. It's good. I can see you. Um, so, so in other words, you know, the way the part people who are baseball, who are playing baseball, they're participating, you know, they're swinging with a bat that's heavier or weighted down to build strength, you know, for hitting the ball. Um, and the same idea can help strengthen us as relationship participants, not only sports participants, and build what's called meaningful endurance for the long term in our couplings or in our relationships. Um, mm-hmm. And so the idea is, you know, just enhance or enrich relationship quality as well as quantity. That's which nice. Is, I think what, what most folks are looking for, you know. So um, this intimacy inventory, if I may. It's a thing that was developed originally by a family therapist named Terry Reel, a man, um, and he assesses transmission and reception of five domains in relationship. So I'll just I'll just say what those are and then I'll talk more about each one in depth. Um, So the five domains he talks about are the intellectual domain, uh, the emotional domain, uh, the physical domain the sexual domain, and the spiritual domain. And the way the intimacy inventory actually looks, I have it here somewhere, I can't find it, but it doesn't matter. Um, He rates things one through five, you know, anywhere from poor to excellent. Uh, I think two is something like infrequent, you know, to adequate, to to good, to to excellent. Um, So it's useful in rating ourselves, you know, how am I doing in terms of my transmitting of uh intellectual my 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 intellectual life how good is my partner at transmitting and how good am i at receiving what my partner is transmitting (laughs) and how good is (laughs) my partner at receiving what i'm transmitting Um, and then you can also rate the relationship right um, so there's, again, transmission and reception for you, your partner, the relationship, et cetera. Um, and it's it's a way, I mean, you don't really have to do it. It's not a bad idea to do it, but it's a way of thinking about how to get better 
at intimacy, meaning the more that we are connecting, talking, communicating, the more intimate we become. And, you know, the rub here is that it can be scary and it, it, it brings up our vulnerabilities. Um, but if people want to get closer, it's a, it's a nice tool, you know, and I'm always trying to give people tools to put in their tool belts. And this is how I think about my own relationship. You know, do I have enough tools to make the system um, or the, the structure of my relationship, so to speak, work better? If that makes sense. So, so let me break it down. Um, you know, what, what Terry means by the intellectual domain is this idea of, excuse me, the mutual sharing of ideas in respectful and non-judgmental ways. Right. So that's one. Um, the emotional domain is the expression of one's fears, joys, sadness, anger, etc., and the receiving of each other's feelings with respect and compassion without disqualifying, attacking, or withdrawing. That's a lot, right? <laughs> that seems like an important, important thing on the end there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it is. Um, and again, you know, you've, you've got, I say again, because I might have talked about the idea of the dyad. You know, you have two people in a coupling. I mean, sometimes you have more if you're talking about polyamorous uh, systems and you've got three people, you've got four people, you know, just, mm. and the complications, uh, multiply with the number of people. So, um, yeah. with one person, it's real simple. It's just you with two people. It gets, you know, exponentially more complicated with three, obviously even more four, et cetera. Um, but anyway, it's, it's, um, this stuff's important and, and I'll explain more why, uh, in terms of the physical domain, uh, the assessment is regarding participation in mutual activities, um, sp- supporting each other in physical care, and physical nurturing and affection. Uh, the fourth domain or area is the sexual one. So honoring the mutuality of sex, being open to your partner's desires without doing something you don't want to do, and being open to your own desires and expressing them. Right. So, you know, again, very important to always underscore consent. I never want to push people to do something they're not willing to do. But but if you are in a committed relationship and there's a clear level of trust uh, and some security, then um, being open is important. Uh, And the fifth one, the, the spiritual domain. So the sharing of spiritual life. However, that's defined for each person or the couple supporting or sorry, support of each other's sense of purpose and meaning and support for each other's devotion to a larger force, whether that's religious, scientific, artistic, social, you know, the larger force beyond oneself. Have you taken the inventory? Yes. Yes, in we fact, should put it, we should put it out there for people. We should, well, when oh. this podcast gets posted, sure. we'll make sure that we actually attach it so other people can kind of read along. That'd okay. be interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it would. You know, it's it's a little bit like, you know, there's this guy that I think you you know about, Vicky, uh, Dr. Gary Chapman, I think is his name, and he wrote The Five Love Languages. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You've read this? 
I have read this. <laughs> yes. So this is different. You know, the intimacy inventory is different. Um, but it's not completely unlike what Chapman has to say, which is this idea that uh, we have ways in the relationship that we feel loved. Um, and we, how do I want to say this? We can express that. So, you know, he talks about acts of service. He talks about, you know, the physical touch and all that stuff. And, and I, I, I like some of these ideas um, because it's a way that we can express to our partner what makes us feel good, what makes us feel loved. Um, and, and so it's related to the intimacy inventory, again, in the sense that if we are transmitting, right, uh, what's important to us in these domains, um, or the mutual sharing of ideas regarding any of these domains, then we're communicating. Right. Um, and I, I feel another thing too, is it, it makes it something that may, might be a little bit more tangible for some people or a little easier to wrap your head around, mm -hmm. you know, to give it not necessarily a label. Cause I, I don't know if that's the right phrase, but kind of give your self and your partner kind of parameters of, that can act as, I guess, a guidebook in a way for, for you, you know, like a quick mm -hmm. guidebook to Donna, <laughs> you know, how Donna likes mm -hmm. all these different things, um, in regards to the love languages, but with mm -hmm. this inventory seems like it's a way of like a self check-in, like, how are we actually doing here? How are we, yes. these are the ways I like this, but am I actually fulfilling that? Am I fulfilling what you like? You know, and yes. it's kind of like giving yourselves a quick little pop quiz. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and a check-in almost like, you know, how families do well sometimes to have like a family meeting, you know, like, Hey, yeah. how we doing? How am I doing? How you doing? A check-in. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it reminds me of, you know, I'm from New York and, um, when I was living in New York in the 80s, um, I'm trying to remember when Ed Koch was the mayor, but uh, oh, I have to check. I have to check myself on this. I should be more prepared. I don't remember exactly when, but but the, <laughs> the idea that I wanted to mention is that he would go around to his constituents. Um, he would meet people on the street and he would reach out and shake their hand when you could before COVID. Um, and he would just say to them, hey, you know, so nice to meet you. Um, how are you doing? And they would say, I'm doing fine. They would say, how are you? But he would actually be the first one to say, how am I doing? Like he would want to know from his constituents, is he serving them right. in the way that they wanted to be served? And I think that's a, a lovely idea in relationship. You know, am I, um, so if I'm in a relationship, you know, am I serving myself and that I'm standing up for who I am and what I believe in? But am I also, you know, able to be flexible and see my partner and what their needs are and serve them as well? So really, in the end, we're both serving the relationship. Yeah. So when it comes to mm -hmm. sex and couples therapy, I'm, I mean, I know that this obviously plays a role because we're talking about it, but you know, can you break down that rule? Cause I feel like some people might not necessarily know the bigger picture. Can I break down what? The role that, you know, the inventory plays with couples, because, you know, I think another thing to know is just cause you're doing the inventory mm -hmm. doesn't mean the job is done. Right. So oh, there's, that's right. there's other yeah, yeah. parts to it. Yeah. So, so the idea is that 
The inventory helps with goal setting and developing objectives in the work. Um, you know, I want to be assessing uh, their strengths. You know, some people have this idea that they're going to come into couples therapy and they're going to walk away after the 50-minute hour and be feeling badly. And there's another myth I want to break. Um, you know, that is not my job. My job is actually to help people do things differently. People can do the, the negative stuff at home uh, for free on their own time. I, I don't want to do that. I want to actually help people develop a, a new healthy process so that they're talking about what's positive. So let's say that the um, let's say that somebody's emotional domain, they could be better at expressing their fears, their joys, their sadness, and receiving, you know, their partner's fears, joy, sadness. Um, that's good information. So let's say they, they don't rate, you know, a five, which is best, but maybe they rate a three or a two. Um, and there's work to be done. Okay. I mean, we could look at that as a, as a weakness, but we could also look at that as there's a, a seed of some strength there and let's build on that. You know, and how do we do that? What I want to know is tell me about what went well. Tell me about what's going well. Even if you had an argument, tell me about how you resolved it. And if you haven't fully resolved it, tell me about how you started to resolve it. And let me help you to see where you're going right and let me help you to see where you might be going wrong. And this is where couples and sex therapy is much more directive than individual therapy. And this is what I really like about it. I like, I've always been one who loves learning. You know, I'm like a, I'm a school geek. You know, I love <laughs> taking classes. I love learning. I love having new ideas in my mind to just kind of think about and chew on. And so if I'm learning from someone, I find that exciting. So I, I want my clients to develop the same love of learning so they, they can get what they came in for. You know, they can get their money's worth. And so I'm telling them, okay, if I could rewrite your script or we could collaboratively rewrite your script or redirect your movie, how would you do that better next time? You know, what are you learning from what didn't go well and how can we build on what is going well? I like that. I know I myself, I use a lot of I feel statements. <laughs> I'm the daughter of a social worker myself. Sure. So I know a lot of I feel, um, mm -hmm. I would like, you know, mm -hmm. instead of, and I, I try really hard to turn a lot of those things onto myself to properly express and sometimes overexpress um, how I'm feeling or, or, or how mm -hmm. I'm understanding a situation to try to give my partner insight into my brain, you know, to yeah. kind of be like, Oh, that's, that's where that came from. That's why she took that that way. Or instead of just immediately getting defensive, you know, cause writing the script or, or changing the script is so important Yes, to set you both up for success. That's right. And so scripting is a really important part of the process. So I really like that you're doing that, Vicki, that you'll say, <laughs> and I've had to learn to do this too, because, you know, women oftentimes don't feel that they can say how they feel. Mm. You know, women, part of the problem, I think, for women is they are often um, submerging their needs or accommodating. And so they, they don't pay attention to what they're feeling. So if we don't pay attention to what we're feeling, then we don't know what we want. We don't know what we need. So that's the mm -hmm. second piece of it. So the first piece is to say what you're feeling, to know what direction you you want to go in or what you need, but that 
that is the second critical piece to say things like, you know, I want the following. Here's how I feel. And because I feel like that, I realize this is what I want. This is what I need. This is a much better way of communicating, Vicky, than, so good, this is good, <laughs> right? That's better. So that's healthy complaining. That's the first part of healthy complaining, saying how you feel. Second part is saying what you want or need. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean your partner is going to give it to you, but they cannot read your mind, right? So cognitive behavioral therapy is this idea mm -hmm. of mind reading, um, you know, other ideas like always or never thinking, you know, this stuff really gets us in trouble. Um, but that healthy complaining is here's what I feel and here's what I want to need. Unhealthy complaining is saying things instead like, you know, you don't do this. Ugh. Right. And then, well, okay, fine. You can tell your partner they don't do that, but, but what do you want them to do? Um, the what, second half to that. So, okay, you, you don't do this, but you know, what comes next? <laughs> yeah. So, so don't say you don't do that. Don't, don't criticize your partner. You can say, look, I've noticed that when you don't fill in the blank, I feel fill in the blank. And so here's what I want and here's what I need. Here's what I wish. Right. Does that make sense? No, it makes perfect sense. So when you don't take out the garbage, like you promised on Tuesday nights, <laughs> um, I feel uh, not considered. I feel unimportant. I feel like it's easy for you to break your agreement with me. So I get angry. And what I really would like you to do, what I would need or want you to do is follow through on that agreement to take out the garbage like you said you would. That would make me feel like if you attend to the division of labor in our home, you care about me, you love me, we're equal partners. Yeah. Uh, all of the above. And it's so important because something as small or as seemingly small as not taking out the garbage can mm. just build. It can just build up and build up and build up. And then all of a sudden it's like, how did we get here? Like, where did, you know? Yes. And that's a great point. I want people to say things as it's happening. And that's how you do quicker problem solving. Right. So I love it when my couples are reporting back to me that, yeah, we argued, but we solved it in two minutes. We said what was going on. We didn't let it build. We're talking about things as they're happening. Um, and we are trying to find the solution so we can move forward and like just sit around and enjoy each other or sit it's around important. and, you know, have sex or lay around <laughs> and have sex um, <laughs> or watch a movie or I don't know, go bowling or cook or, you know, travel. I know we're in COVID-19 and people aren't traveling as much, but we will, you know, we will get back to that. Um, so, yeah, I, all of these things are really, really important as a part of the process. My phone is ringing. Oh, well. <laughs> I'm going to let it go to voicemail. That's fine. <laughs> um, um, yeah, so, there, so there's also this idea about, um, yeah, so this is, the, this is the idea of talking to your partner for the best outcome. And in, in doing this, we're really changing ourselves. Rather than pointing to our partners and what we want from our partner, uh, this is where I think I move away from the idea of the love languages mm -hmm. because I want people to be working on themselves. I mean, yes, does he recommend we identify what we need and want, of course, and communicate that, sure. But that doesn't guarantee our partners are going to do that for us. So let's do it for ourselves. That's one thing, right? Um, so, for example, if I hear a woman say uh, about her partner, um, 
I want my partner to say that I look beautiful. Um, you know, and she asks her partner, her partner says, yes, sure. I'll remember. I'll do that tomorrow. And they forget, you know, don't take it personally. Um, it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. It's just, it doesn't come naturally for your partner. So you can even have fun with it and walk out and say, how do you think I look? Do I look beautiful? <laughs> uh. You know, this leads me to my ooh and ah story. I tell my ooh and ah story sometimes to my couples. Did I tell you my ooh and ah story? I don't think so. So my ooh and ah story is the following. Um, my artistic husband, who has such a great eye, ironically, doesn't see things in the house that I do or around the house that I think are lovely. So I used to have an expectation 21 years ago that I would put a plant in the garden or do something beautiful and he would magically walk in and say, honey, that's fantastic. So nine times out of 10, that never happened. Maybe 9.9 .9 times out of 10. So what I learned over time was to begin to say um, to him, hey, honey, look what I did. Come take a look. And I'd even point, so this was a long learning process, I'd point and go, see that flower? And he'd go, yeah. And I'd go, what do you think? And he'd go, it's nice. And I'd be like, yeah, but it's new. And do you love it? You know? And he'd be like, yeah. So I wasn't getting from him <laughs> what I wanted. <laughs> I wanted to extract this excitement because I was excited, right? So what I discovered is to, is to actually tell him what I needed him to say. So I, we made this kind of promise and it developed over time and it was very humorous and silly and ridiculous. But I would say, okay, I'm going to show this thing to you and I want you to say, ooh and ah. And he started to say, oh. Ooh, look at that flower you planted. Ah, and I felt great and it was over. It was done. <laughs> and we were both happy because I asked for what I wanted. I scripted it. He did it because, you know, he loved me and all that. And, you know, now we're now we could move on to the next thing. <laughs> right, so it's assertiveness, you know. And, you know, I think another thing is a lot of times this goes back to you know, so many of the common themes that we've talked about over the course of these podcasts from myths to the core beliefs and where they come from and all those types of things. But I think that's just another one of those myths that just because they'll, they'll automatically know and they'll automatically recognize. And I know I've talked about this before myself, but the way that things, relationships are portrayed, whether it be in movies or on TV shows, they mm. always notice the small corner of the room that you've changed something where sometimes they don't. And it's, it's mm. not with malicious mm. intent. Oh, I think a lot of times not. it can be right. perceived right. with malicious intent and that's not what it is. And it's, you know, changing our own viewpoint of how they're viewing something, which is a whole other thought process that is a rabbit hole that <laughs> I could go well, down forever. We, yeah, sure. I mean, <laughs> what we're, we we get into self-protection mode. If you think that somebody's not caring, immediately you may withdraw or go on attack. Um, so, mm -hmm. yeah, this idea of intention and impact, um, you know, and that's really related to intimacy. The more we cannot take things personally or take our partner's behavior as our own personal inadequacy, uh, that's that can be a defense mechanism that I really want to help break down for people. 
and so ultimately, we really need to begin changing ourselves versus changing our partner. So, mm. you know, there's there's sometimes I'll hear from couples that, you know, uh, in with the with only a good and loving intention, a spouse may buy another spouse a very large, expensive gift, mm-hmm. like a car, for example, or oh, I don't know, whatever, you know, a vacation. Um, mm-hmm. And so they mean to be loving and generous, uh, but oftentimes it can be disempowering, especially if to, if they're giving it, if it's, say, a man giving it to a woman, for example, it can be disempowering. It can even be a same-sex couple, but um, particularly in heterosexual relationships, there's this idea that if you're not running it by your partner, um, transmitting, right, getting back to the inventory, transmitting kind of kind and, and assertive uh, kind of uh, communication, receiving and, and transmitting it, then um, it, it it comes off as uh, the impact can be one of um, co-opting or, or coercion, if you will, uh, rather than being equal partners and talking about making such a large pur- pur- purchase, sorry, um, because then each partner feels included in the process. It's a healthier process. Is there... A way, is there a way that you find that works um, differently with the the type of couple that's in front of you or that works better for the different type of couple? Like, so when you're talking through these things, such as running something by your partner and, you know, really focusing on changing yourselves, you know, to be able to work on your relationship and things like that, do you find that? the heterosexual sexual couples that you see as opposed to, you know, the homosexual couples you see or the polyamorous couples that you see, do you find that they all react differently to different strategies or is it kind of a universal strategy across the board? Yeah, I would say it's, it's universal. Um, and uh, yeah, I think there are universal ideas or concepts, um, because really each, each partner just wants to be loved, accepted, um, thought of considered, uh, they want their partner to kind of make an agreement, keep an agreement. If the agreement needs to change, talk about that. Uh, whether you're talking about a a polyamorous grouping or a, a same sex couple or a heterosexual couple, um, I think a lot of the ideas are are similar. There are some differences, but we can save that for another conversation. Uh, but but essentially, yeah, just just again, you know, giving to yourself, um, but but mostly thinking about the relationship. If you want to be in the relationship, it is key in terms of communicating and and just getting better in all those domains. Again, you know, intellectually. Um, being uh, non-judgmental, respectful, emotionally, being able to express yourself um, and hear your partner. This is so important to be able to quiet down. Oftentimes I'll say to women, you know, uh, try to have a softer startup. And when your partner is talking, allow them to talk, receive their ideas as uh, coming from some someone who's not you. I mean, this is a separate individual with their own way of thinking, their own Mm -hmm. style, their own stuff. Um, So we have to be able to hear that. It doesn't mean you have to agree, but if we're not hearing each other to begin with or listening, there's nowhere to go from there. So I want her to have a softer startup. I want him or the the partner to be um, 
uh, kind of um, saying what they need and want as well, and just allowing a reciprocity in relating. Alrighty. Oh, I do have another question. Um, so when it comes to intent and impact and how they relate to intimacy, um, is they all play their own part in making sure that relationships last long term, right? For that meaningful mm -hmm. endurance. Mm -hmm. Um, but is it I don't know if this question is going to make sense, but I'll ask it anyway. But is it is it more like a braid where they all play the same part throughout the entire process? Or is it kind of more like you're juggling and, you know, one of the balls is in the air and two are in your hand. And it's like the two that are in your hand are the, the more important ones and that they keep changing. Or is it like a braid where you need all three at the same time to make it work? I don't, well, know if this, that, I don't know if that question makes sense, but... Yeah, no, it does. It does. I think this is why we have to think about the long term and mm -hmm. how there are lots of moving parts in the system of a coupling. Um, mm -hmm. and, and we want to be practicing healthier ways of relating and getting better and better at them over mm -hmm. time. So, yeah, it is like juggling and there are lots of balls in the air. Um, it's... it's um, <clears throat> It's simple. You have to be juggling lots of balls in the air at the same time, but it's not easy, right? So the idea of juggling, yeah, you see what the juggler is doing. You're going, wow, that's amazing. So it's simple to watch the juggler, but that but that juggler has been practicing for a long darn time, right? right. To get really good. Um, in terms of in, uh, intention and impact, um, again, what we intend doesn't necessarily impact our partner in the way that we intend. So if we're intending on being generous by giving them a very expensive gift, uh, the impact may be one of disempowerment because it, it, things didn't get talked about. Um, in terms of the other elements that I say really help um, create long-term meaningful endurance, those are the following. Um, aside from the five domains in the in intimacy inventory, and we could probably do a podcast on these things, um, this developing high levels, and this takes time and it takes years of practice. We need high levels of vulnerability, the ability to take risks, uh, practicing authenticity, developing strong interpersonal communication with your partner. This is often why I recommend men's group because men's groups, because I, I want men to be really practicing communicating. Um, and the last of the five is developing comfort in managing conflict. You know, nobody likes conflict, right? I certainly don't. <laughs> um, but if we begin to develop comfort in managing it, like just knowing it's there and we can be, again, getting back to the inventory as non-judgmental as possible, as respectful as possible, treating your partner like you would a colleague or a friend um, with, with a loving intention, but knowing they're your equal, this is the way forward. Okay. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on today? No, I think that that's it. I am really delighted we had this chance to get together again. I love uh, when we do this. <laughs> I know, me too. And you ask great questions and it's nice to hear them from you because, you know, I don't know what you're thinking and I want to know what you're thinking, Vicki. You know, I want to know what you're curious about. So I, because probably what you're curious about is what lots of people are. So thanks for doing a great job. 
Hey, thank you for doing a great job. <laughs> thank you. And we want to thank Justin back there, who's doing a great job, who's our director, therapist, engineer, all things Overall saver of sanity. <laughs> yes, the saver of sanity, Justin. Woohoo! We missed you, Paul, but we'll see you again back there. And so I just want to let everybody know that I really appreciate you joining us, and we look forward to seeing you again. Um, just remember that you can find me on Facebook at the Sex and Couples Therapist. On Instagram, you can find me at the Happy... happy oh, let me say that again. <laughs> on Instagram, the Happy Ending Therapist. Uh, you can call my office at 508-990-9909. And please check out my beautiful website at sexandcouplestherapy.com. It's beautiful. I didn't make it, but I just want you to know I don't think it's beautiful because I made it. <laughs> uh, so again, remember, passion, play, pleasure. Go out, have fun, stay in, have fun, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks, everybody.